1: You're tuned in to On the Edge with Slash, hosted by former NFL quarterback Cordell Stewart. I'm Joe DeLeon, filling in today as Cordell's co-host. We've got a lot of fun stuff that we want to talk about. Football's football's right around the corner. I'm starting to get pretty juiced up. I'm sure you are,
0: too. Yeah, I mean, everybody's having camp right now. Uh, Just had an opportunity to talk to some Steeler folk, trying to ask the questions of, what do I think this quarterback carousel thing is going to look like Uh, to just how's life going to be without Ben Roethlisberger? Right. Um, he's done such a phenomenal job there with that organization and keeping everything steady. Mike Tomlin, uh, being a 500 minimum every year when it comes to wins and losses there with the organization. So he's really put his stamp of approval of being a true Steelers coach, uh, in a sense of being hard nosed and steady and being able to take whatever he has and make it work, which is the Steelers way. But, yeah, uh just just excited. You know, seeing stuff taking place in Kansas City. You got Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball behind his back, hitting a crossbar. You have a whole bunch of great stuff uh going on um around the National Football League, figuring out who's how the contracts are gonna work out for uh the quarterbacks there and in Kyler Murray there with the uh with the Cardinals. Everything. I mean there's there's so much stuff. Management there with the Denver Broncos. We'll get to that at another date. But there's so much stuff that's taking place around the National Football League to be excited about.
1: And with training camp starting means it's the beginning of Hard Knocks, which a lot of NFL fans love getting that, that back-end view of things. We've got the Detroit Lions this year as the featured team, and there's always that debate of, like, is it, is it beneficial for these, these teams to be a part of Hard Knocks? We got to see right. the first episode yesterday, which aired on, on Tuesday the 9th, but what are your thoughts on that? Like, how, how do you Like, do you think that for this Lions organization that's been struggling, do you think that it's putting them in a good position for this, this season?
0: Well, it, the, the funny thing about the Hard Knocks show is when putting teams on, most will say they would love to have the best team on. So, who was that best team last year? It was the Rams. You know, they had their run on the Hard, on the hard Knocks, and then Cincinnati. Cincinnati had their run on hard knocks. Now it's Detroit, which it's not one of the better teams. And, but yet you still have to give them an opportunity to shine. I would say in the national football league, when it comes to how they run their camps, I think I saw where Deuce Staley and, and Aaron Glenn both played in the national football league, one for the Philadelphia Eagles and Deuce Staley to Aaron Glenn being one of the cornerbacks who played for the New York jets uh, did a phenomenal job, both players. Uh, in the National Football League, to now they're competing on the same team as coaches. One's a defensive coordinator, and the other is a running backs coach. Like, what is Deuce telling the defensive coordinator? You know, uh, is he upset because they're they're coming down heavy on the on the running backs when they're running the ball in nine on seven drills? For those who don't know what nine on seven is, it's it's. It's the front line, the front linemen and the tight ends and the fullback, if you will, to linebackers and D linemen and maybe a safety coming down in the hole. So we call that nine on seven. That's the bigs going against the bigs in the trenches, and 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 I think it was a play where there was a screen thrown uh, by the offense and and Aaron Glenn's safety or whomever came up and made the play. Aaron Glenn was going crazy and Deuce goes, Oh, we're getting excited over a screen. Is that what (laughs) it is? We're talking about a screen. And so, you know, you get all the excitement and all the energy that you need, because of course, you know, the cameras are there. Uh, And you get a chance to see guys with a lot of energy. And then then you get a chance to see guys coming in with the cars, what kind of cars they're driving when coming in, what they're doing during their downtime. Uh, I think there was a time where there's a par three, I think 127 something on the yard par three, uh, uh, they're on campus, they're on the property there for the players to actually go play a little golf if they choose to. So uh, it's gotten better with the years, I will say, uh, knowing that now that they have a par three on the property uh, there at camp, which we didn't have that when we were at La Trobe in Pittsburgh uh, or any place that I would put up with Chicago and, and also uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. But, you know, you get a chance to see how they operate and move, coaches coach behind the scenes, Thing are, things that are being said, players that are get cut. Guys that are coming in, you know, sob stories of families that they have that has to relocate and hopefully get picked up by someone else during this preseason time. So, you know, it's pretty interesting to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but you get a chance to see all the extra energy, if you will, I think actually exuding from some of these players and coaches when it comes to having fun.
1: I feel like the last few years, the hard knocks hasn't been as entertaining. And I think this year's already off to a really good start. And you mentioned, with Glenn and Staley, how those two guys are former players. Dan Campbell, former longtime player. Look at this whole coaching staff. It's a lot right. of former NFL guys, and you get all those personalities. Yep. It's, it's very unique. I can't think of the last time we've had a, a, a coaching staff that has had this much NFL playing experience across the board. Right. I'm just curious from like your perspective, do you think having that many former player coaches is a good thing for this, this young roster?
0: Hmm. that's a lot of chiefs on one team is not it? Right. <laughs> not enough Indians <laughs> if you were right because the egos the mentalities the experiences whether it's winning or losing uh you just hope that it can mesh well enough uh because as you know camaraderie is everything right not just on the football team but also with a coaching staff and if you don't have that camaraderie the head can actually start pretty fast you know I I coached in high school and you get some coaches. that say, just because you play the National Football League doesn't mean you can be a real good coach. But I know a lot. (laughs) You know, I know a lot. And I've slept on more film than most have watched, you know, when it comes to ice. And and that mentality, right, that mentality, I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to offend anyone, but you're thinking that, right? And so just imagine those coaches who are actually showing that energy amongst one another uh, as they actually go out on the football field to prove a point that, Maybe my tenure as a player in being coached by certain coaches should have precedence because maybe I have the hardware or maybe I play with a better organization and a sense of tradition and how they want. Um, I think it'll work. Honestly, uh, it's just going to be, can you be a good follower to learn how to potentially be a good leader to your group? You know, and that's really all it takes at the end of the day, right? It's being able to have enough Indians on the team to want to do their job good enough so that the chief can have his life and job to be much easier. So that thing can equate to wins as opposed to draws and losses. And uh, if that were to happen, you know, you have to assume that the tug of war uh, of, 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 of coaches and maybe even for the most part front office is going to start creating to pull them apart to bring someone else in that's not, so egotistical and high energy and high strong in a sense of what they believe in so much. So to the point where they can't follow the leader and, uh, and that's their head coach there in Detroit.
1: Yeah. And I think the flip side of you get all that playing experience, but then you look at the resumes of these guys, not a lot of them have coaching experience. Like I, Mark right. Bunnell is the quarterback coach. He's coming from a, a broadcasting booth. Like that's, yeah. that's a tough transition to jump right from that after not really been a, a coach for, for very long. But I feel like, you know, in line with what you're talking about, the right guy to rally the group, I feel like, is Dan Campbell, who's the head coach. And, and we're starting to really get to see his personality, which is why I think so many people are excited about the Lions being the team this year because the guy is so genuine. And you can see right. that his players are so bought in. Like, I can't remember the last time a, a team has been this bought in on hard knocks in my years of watching it. Like, did
0: you kind of get that same, same sense? Yeah, his energy is phenomenal. Right. Uh, one thing I think a, a player on any level feeds off of is the energy of the head coach. And he's not lacking not one iota ounce of energy when it comes to expressing himself to the media or even the energy he has on the football field. And there's a plus to that. There are some minuses. Right. Uh, from a managerial standpoint, how well does that transfer over from what you've experienced to becoming a head coach? successfully on the national, not saying you can't do it, but on the national football league level, how much success can you have by using some of those uh, different energies that you may have had from the head coach or even your position coaches? And one thing you look around the national football league, if you come from the Tony Dungy uh, or you come from the Bill Belichick, or you come from the Mike Shanahan's, Right. Uh, you you get that instant respect because those three group of guys, those guys they they've won and, and they've done it respectfully throughout the National Football League over some years. Uh, and so if I missed anyone, the Bill coming from the Bill Parcera, Bill Parcells uh, lineage, uh, you, you and that's where Bill Belichick came from. And uh, you know when you start thinking Nick Saban's who was around, who's now he's in college, which we'll be talking about that eventually too, but he comes from that lineage, right? So you start asking the question, you know, do they from a managerial standpoint know how to conduct the classroom? Is it going to be when it's hard to make that decision of keeping this player to maybe moving him around to bring in another player or as I said, keeping this one player as opposed to someone and may want someone else. And can you put in enough factual information to indicate what this guy can bring to the table to keep him on the roster? You know, it's, it becomes the back and forth of do I think like a player or do I think like a coach which is more managerial when it comes to being in those offices with the owner, with the GM, right? Uh, uh, with the scouts. And because you draw from what you know. And sometimes, because it becomes so personal, personable, it, it, it can sometimes lead you to think something there. Something's there, and it may not be, or vice versa. They may try to get rid of the play, but you be like, "No, this guy has potential." I'm telling you, look what he does on third down when it comes to pass protection. You know, he picks it up better than our starter. But our starter makes seven, eight million dollars a year. So, mm-hmm. how do you justify that in the classrooms? when it comes down to having those, kind of those heated moments come up when the air is at 65, freezing cold, but you're sweating in there because you're, you're so intense about what you believe in. So it's going to be a balancing act. Uh, it's going to have to be one really fast. Uh, but most importantly, there's a tremendous amount of experience. The question now becomes, will they be able to gel it well enough together to flip it over from what it once was, which was not really good, to them being a team that can contend to win that division to having a chance to worst case scenario as a wild card or getting help from someone getting into the postseason.
1: And I think considering the positioning that they're in right now, they, they've got a lot of young players. They've drafted guys like Penny Sewell. They just drafted Aiden Hutchinson, Jameson Williams in the past two years of their first round picks. If you look at the NFC North, like, I, I think it's, it's worth acknowledging that they could do more damage and people are willing them to give them credit for it. So, like, Cordell, do you think that the Lions might actually be able to surprise some people? Or do you think this is still like a 4-5, five-win five team this, this upcoming season in Dan Campbell's second year?
0: There's a reason why you draft so early. You know, when you, when you get the opportunity to get those picks so early. Multiple pick, picks on top of that sometimes, right? It's because you're trying to find it. But there are two teams that we know for sure in the NFC North that is pretty stable. That's the Minnesota Vikings, and that's for sure the Green Bay Packers, who's pretty much been the pappy, if you will, of that division with Aaron Rodgers leading the helm. So everyone else, it's kind of like the get in the fitted type scenario, right? Uh, We know what they have with fields in Chicago. Um, It's not as good as they would like, but they're doing the right thing from a political standpoint and what they're saying for as their quarterback is concerned um, in trying to allow him to develop into being what it is they need him to be in order to just compete within that division. You know, it, it's, it's, it's going to, it's going to be tough. I, I will be honest. I'll be honest. It's going to be tough to Detroit, but I'm not buying Detroit to want to have any success just because of what's taking place with the hard knock show. The hard knock show is, is just to give people opportunities to see football at a camp um, and to be able to connect the dots on how things may operate at other camps and organizations. So for me, I think at the end of the day, I think it's still the Green Bay Packers in that division. Still Minnesota second fighting. You pick which one you want in in, in Detroit and Chicago, um, and go from there. But I still go with those as the top two teams in that in that division. And uh, but you never know. That's why we have the drafts. That's why we have trades. That's why we have coaching staffs being brought, coaches being brought in to create a new coaching staff, a new environment, a good, healthy environment. Maybe the part three may be the reason that they have on property there, you know, that uh, you have, you know, Ricky Fowler had an opportunity to go over there. I think during one of the tournaments they had there locally. And uh, he came over and he's a PGA tour player for those who don't know what Ricky Fowler is. He's one of the better PGA tour players uh, that had a chance to go, and, and see the facilities to to actually uh, go to the par three and hit some balls on the par three that they have in place over there just to bring relevance to what they have on property. And I think this is going to be implemented into the Hard Knocks show. So yeah, Detroit's going to have it tough again this year.
1: Just to close out the the Hard Knocks conversation, and, and it's funny that you bring up the, the par three. I, I didn't play in the NFL, but I played in college. And I remember training camp just being a, a, a total grind. And it's yeah. having any way to disconnect and get away is anything you can find guys are searching for. Like, do you think that the, the, that par three, like if you have the energy to go play, like how much do you think that does for, for morale? Or is it just like a nice thing that they, that they have a part of their facility?
0: Well, we we're a Latrobe. We used to go fishing at the ponds that were nearby. So we can equate that to the same thing. You just probably won't do it with shoes on because you, right. you're wearing the cleats and maybe have a few blisters here and there. You, you might want to do it just for the sake of doing it to have some fun. Um, it's a it's a place to release, decompress, if you will. Uh, I would say when it comes to how tough practices can be, you know, when you have those two days, full pads or half pads and full pads, that can be pretty tough. Um, and I think that can be an out for some of these players that just want to get away for the sake of doing it. Right. Uh, Cause you don't want to go too far. You want to stay off your feet as much as possible, even though you're standing up, but it's one of more of those engaging, relaxing, relaxing sports that, that can be extremely competitive. And I think for Jared Golfs of the World or any other player that's on the team that are true golfers that love to play the game, um, they want to keep their swing oiled up. You know, they want to keep that thing, you know, nice and, <laughs> nice and fluid, if you will. You know, no one wants to turn into a robot of, you know, wearing pants all day and, you know, and helmets. And you want to feel like you're in that place. Like, have you ever been to Pebble Beach before? Uh,
1: I have not. So, I've been to a couple other nice courses, but I've not been to Pebble beach.
0: Carmel, San Diego, LA, wherever, yeah. right? Some yeah. really nice places. Every once in a while, you'll be on some courses to where it may have with the tree lines that are in place. It may give you the feeling of another place and you may get into that space psychologically and have a moment, right? And that moment could be a feel good moment. And then you come out of that Oasis, so to speak, and you get to the next one and be like, oh, no, this is not Pebble b Yeah, this is Michigan. (laughs) This is is Michigan. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so I think those guys will have that opportunity to release, decompress, uh, play the music. Just as we know, golf has turned into now, right, Mm -hmm. which is the world of you can bring a JBL little speaker out and, and play it and, you know, just have a good time and not blast it, but have it to where within your group, you're having a good time. And, and, and that's what I think sports in general has gone to now to the point where practices, even going back to my time in the nineties, in the early 2000s, we were having music at practice and it's becoming a big, big deal now. Once I became a, a, a coach at North Atlanta here in Atlanta, um, we were playing music for the kids. And for all the kids, we didn't just play rap. We didn't just play, you know, country or, you know, things of that nature. We played rock. We played everything, you know, to, to allow these kids to feel good and be inclusive holistically when it comes to playing. So it'll take you to another place having, I would say, that part three on the, part three on the property. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that escape is, is definitely necessary, especially for these, these NFL guys going through the, mm-hmm. the stress that is training camp. To, to, to pivot yeah. a little here, Cordell, talking about the the Hall of Fame game we had last week, and that means we have announced the Hall of Fame class for 2022. And we, We've got a very talented list amongst the guys that, that were selected. Tony Baselli, offensive tackle, mm-hmm. Cliff Branch, yep. Leroy but- Butler, Art McNally, Sam Mills, Richard Seymour, Dick Vermeule, and Bryant Young were those that were selected. I know there's some snubs that might, we might be thinking about here, but amongst that group, we've got a lot of decorated players. Just from like a broad view of those, that group of guys, how do you feel about the group that was selected for, for 2022?
0: I think – I mean, anytime you're selected to get in, there, you, you can't argue that. You can't even have a debate about that. Uh, these guys worked their butts off. Um, Richard Seymour, we know what he's done being with the New England Patriots so on their run, considering themselves as a dynasty team, being able to win more than one Super Bowl within a five-year or so span. Uh, look what Tom Brady's had had the opportunity to do. And, you know, that, that crew, that, that crew of guys, too. you talk talking about Dick Vermeil, his run with Philadelphia, but then uh, having to deal with Trent Green being injured when he was there with the Rams uh, to then having to take Kurt Warner, who I think from what I heard was, was bagging groceries, uh, before he actually had the opportunity to fill in for Trent Green and look what that ended up becoming the greatest show on turf. I mean, how could you argue with that? What about Sam Mills? I was a little kid growing up. He was a part of the Dome Patrol. You know, I was in apartments right across the street from the old Saints training camp over Eisenhower. And I remember my cousin and I, we used to go watch under the the, the plastic that was on the fence to stop people from seeing their practices and kind of on our chest on our our chin, on our hands, on the ground and watching practice. You know, so in having a chance to play against him also when he was with the Carolina Panthers uh, to deliver our butler, you know um, the Lambo leap uh, from my understanding, he was uh, the person that started the Lambo leap, and Tony Pacelli being the first player drafted with the Jacksonville Jaguars and what he meant to that organization. <clears throat> um, it's it's you can't you can't speak enough about it, right? so I, I think all these guys and the few that I may have mentioned, you know, Art McNally, um, you know, and and, and what he meant as a referee, uh, some of the work that he's put in as far as the instant replay is concerned. um, How could you not have these guys in? But when you, then you could start talking about the Heinz wards with a thousand catches, two Super Bowls. When you say dressed up players, right. You talk about the Reggie Waynes and the things that he's accomplished with the Super Bowl, playing with Peyton Manning, uh, you can also talk about Tory. I mentioned Tory, uh Andre Johnson. I think I have 1,062 yards could arguably be the greatest Houston Texans in the history of the organization up until this point and the things that he meant to them. So I, I, I think you can consistently keep going. Right. Anquan Bolden and, and what he meant, not just to the Arizona Cardinals, but also what he meant to the Baltimore Ravens and the 49ers. So he's put in a lot of work and all the work that he does in the community too from a philanthropist standpoint. Uh, He's done a a great job with giving back to the communities across the board. You know, I think that part and that piece comes into play to what type of person you are along with the great work you've done. And so all the guys that I mentioned, I threw the Heinz Ward, so I'm going to be really selfish about that one. But you can't knock the other guys that I mentioned too as well. Um, Super Bowls, that stuff does matter. Uh, Super Bowl wins, that stuff does matter unless your number supersedes all of the numbers, I mean, all of the accolades uh, when it comes to the numbers being dressed up. So, you know, it's crazy how it works. If you bring in a safety now uh, and, and, and you may have brought in a, a receiver, then how long does it take because you have another guy that's coming up? So every time you look around, someone's coming up to where – Someone's going to get snubbed at some. Look at Charles Haley. Look at he won. He has the most Super Bowl rings individually, and he's done it with the Cowboys and the 49ers than any one player outside of Tom Brady, outside of Tom Brady now, than anyone leading up to his time of getting in. And look how long it took him to get in. I mean, he's finally is in. So, you know, you'll get in. You just you just hope it's sooner than later. Uh, I can see the Reggie Wayne's, I can see the Torrey Holtz. I can see the Andre Johnson's. I for sure can see my guy, Hines Ward, getting in. You know, just the question becomes when? Because how many receivers did I just mention? I mentioned three of them. Yeah. I just mentioned three out of four players were wide receivers. Actually, all four are wide receivers Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, and Andre Hines Ward. When? When does it happen? So you may have two in one season. You know, it won in one opportunity, but then again you may you may have to wait for the next season and it may not be the time for receivers, it may be the time for linemen, it may be the time for linebackers, it may be the time for another kicker, you know. I mean you just don't know. So but you know they'll get in if the question just becomes what.
1: Yeah, we had a very defensive heavy group this year just loosely looking over it, but I, I wanna ask you about two of the guys that you had more of a direct connection with. Amongst the snubs as well as the guys that were in the group, the the first one's Sam Mills, who I I feel not connected to because I never got to watch him play. But he played college football, but 15 minutes down the road for me at Montclair State. But the thing about Sam Mills, it's so unique. You always hear all of these limitations put on prospects of is this guy too big? Is this guy or is this guy too small? Is he not big enough to play the position? He was a linebacker playing at five foot nine. And I don't know how many guys that we've seen in the NFL produce success under five foot 11 playing that, that linebacker position in the middle of these defenses. It's just, it's crazy to think that he was able to do that to the point where he is now a hall of fame player, rest yeah. in peace to, to him. But I, I'm just curious from like your playing perspective, like how hard does it to succeed being that much smaller? And I you know, understandably, you you were on the offensive side of the ball, but like, knowing guys and being around guys like how how hard do you think that makes it succeed it's
0: within the diaphragm of the body it's that thing that pumps all the time it's the heart it's the desire it's the will um it's the tenacity it's all those things all those things that encompasses the ability to regardless of what's up against you you still go out and produce and that's what sam mills did um he led the dome patrol think about that crew swilling jackson think of those guys they were. Sam, Pat Swilling is what six three, six four easily. I mm-hmm. saw him at my Hall of Fame event that I had down in then in, in Greater New Orleans area, and I saw him for the first time up close in person without a uniform on. And he's a big man, but that guy at five nine at best, five nine and a half. I I'd give him a few. Um, rest his soul is has has shown that he's a he's a he's a little big monster, if you will. And and and, and I say that with all intentions. He he gave teams hell, truthfully, when it's all said and done in the end. And, and I think that allowed him to get into the Hall of Fame, because when you think of what the measurables are for linebackers, you never mention five-nine. <laughs> you never mention it. So when you do mention it, and you see the totality of how he played the game, and what he was playing with as far as his illness is concerned, and and how that I think went into the gumbo, if you will, the ingredients of the will, right? He's shown that he had it. And uh, he played with no excuses. He played a tremendous amount of heart, and everyone on the field at all times, both sides of the ball, respected him. And that was, to me, a mark going back to my childhood days, uh, something that I wanted to model behind, even though I didn't play linebacker, but just the toughness, mm-hmm. right? Right just the will to be able to and want to was the best part about what I liked about Sam Mills. I didn't know him as a person, so I can't speak on that. And, and if I say anything out of order when it comes to that, uh, for those who are listening, excuse me, but I just thought he was a great guy from afar. He always showed that he was that guy that you can lean on from what you saw in the, in the media, but most importantly on the field. And if you could depend on him on the football field, you have to assume you could depend on him off the field because that dome patrol was really, really close on dating back to the Superdome uh, when he was making those great runs from a defensive standpoint. So, uh, and then and that's that's with the Saints, for those who don't know about the Dome Patrol, that's the Saints. So, yeah, Sam Mills, he's a great one. He's a great one.
1: The other guy, too, that you have a very <laughs> direct connection with, and you mentioned that you were throwing passes to him, Hines Ward, he doesn't make it on this list. And I think some people forget how dominant he was for a long period of time with the Steelers. He's one of the most underrated Steelers of all time and you even mentioned Yo, his it statistics.
0: Was yeah, bro, it was stupid. I, excuse me for cutting you off, but I have no, you're good. He, he, would, he, would, he would irritate Rod Woods so much to the point where when we played them in 2001 and Hines was the one, that's where the rule came into the defenseless players, right? Because Hines would catch a couple sleeping and not looking over their shoulders and he would clock them. I mean, he would knock the block off, literally. And they wouldn't want to fight every <laughs> same thing. Right. And that's what made Heinz Ward one of the most complete receivers, even though he wasn't a Tory Ho with the speed. He didn't run the, the most prolific routes. Uh, but that slash approach, if you will, uh, I don't want to put that off on him, but he was a quarterback at one time, you know, coming out of high school playing wide receiver, went to Georgia, did the same thing at the university of Georgia Bulldogs. Same exact thing. Came to Pittsburgh, started off on special teams when he came and made a mark for himself that he was tough. And I think it was ACL or MCL. He played in one of his legs with no ACL. I think it was MCL or ACL in one of his legs. So the guy was a true stealer. And there's not too many receivers, if any, that I can remember. Outside of Charles Johnson, one of my, one of my, my best friends uh, who's no longer with us, um, receiver that I had with me in Colorado, who was a great blocker. Les Steckel started that in Colorado with Michael Westbrook, Charles Johnson, uh, Christian Fourier, Eric uh, Mitchell, Ray Carruth, Phil Savoy, uh, all those guys. And to see Hines mimic that without being in our camp, there in Colorado, there in Pittsburgh, it made him one of the most fearful, I would say, and fearless type players whether it be towards the defensive players or how he moved on the field in the history of the National Football League. I haven't, seen a, I haven't seen a receiver do that to DBs, to linebackers, to even some linemen if he had to do it when there was a broken, down, broken play and he had to do his job down the football field. I can't say enough about that. I can't say that about the other receivers. I know Reggie Wayne. He went to my high school. I'm a big fan of him down in uh there with Indianapolis. He went to John Ayer High School back in my hometown in Moreau, Louisiana. Um, he represented extremely well. He is who he is. He was very, 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 very good. He blocked. But Heinz was a little dirty with it. All right? Hines let you know I'm on my way. You see it coming, you can't stop it. And when he hits you, you try to come back and fight him, and he come back and get you again. And when you figure out, figure out that he wasn't scared of you, and you were trying to run from him, he chased you, and he'll come get you again. <laughs> So the dude was just a gnat that you just couldn't get rid of. And uh I love him to this day because of how hard he played and I'm glad he retired as a stealer for sure and he's out doing his thing coaching and uh he deserves to get in very soon, as long as as well as the other three players, Tory Holt, Andre Johnson, as well as Reggie Wayne.
1: So Cordell, the, the last thing to to get to on today's show, Live Golf has, has taken over the, the golf world, and mm-hmm. we've got the FedEx Cup coming up and yep it feels like all these events now going forward have this cloud looming over them because of what live golf has done to the PGA tour right. with that. And with, with the FedEx cup, which is usually a pretty big event in the golf world. What is the impact now? And what impact have we seen <laughs> so far from the live tour that it's showing
0: on the PGA tour? Yeah, well, here's my thing. You know, I've been fortunate to have an opportunity to play golf. You know, uh, one of my coaches told me how nice it would be to actually go out and play and get to meet people on the course. You start learning the the intricacies of how to move and conduct yourself on a golf course, whether it's when you're on the tee box to where you stand, uh, when guys are over their balls hitting, females too as well, to uh, the order in which you go in. So everything when it comes to how you conduct yourself it's a big part of it, right? Uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a chance to be a part of the Strixon family. I'm a brand ambassador. So conducting myself well enough allowed me to be a brand ambassador to receive great equipment, uh, treatment, opportunity to meet people through it. And you carry that over to the game. It's the same mentality, right? There's a certain way you conduct yourself on the course as a quote unquote professional. There are rules. Bylaws, if you will, uh, ways you go about taking care of business on the course. If it says to get there on time, you have to be there five minutes earlier to make sure you meet the times. You, you got sponsorships. You have a litany of things that allows you to be considered as a professional on the tour. And there are rules and guidelines that you have to inherit to in order to stay on that tour, whether it's the amount of money you make a year to the wins that you actually get to be on tour and be exempt for some time. Now you implement this piece that's not a part of the PGA tour, but it's a part of the golf life, which is called the live tour. The live tour gives you everything that sports gives players outside of golf, which is a signing bonus. And on top of that, less rounds of golf that you have to play along with the team concepts, right? So within the Live Golf, you have outside of the PGA Tour, yes, you do have sponsorship tournaments, which is the proams leading up to it, all those inclusive celebs as well, playing with the tour players to lead up into the tournament. The Live is what we see golf today. We have speakers on the golf, court, uh, golf carts uh, to, to music and cheerleaders and the bells and whistles of firecrackers and fireworks, all the stuff that's a little bit uncomfortable in the world of PGA that doesn't have all those bells and whistles other than behind the scenes at your own hut or place of uh, living during the tournaments. Live's different. let going to give you a signing bonus. Bill Mickelson, 200 million bucks. I hear he's plus 35 or 40 cents receiving that money. Now, when I say plus, that means over par yeah with the tournaments that he's played for those who but then coming from the tour you have to be so many under in order to win a tournament let alone win tournaments plural but the money's different right i got a chance to get 200 million to not have to have that pressure to produce in order to win right that's different so along with those rules in place it says also that you may not be able to come back to play in certain tournaments based on the rules that the players created with the PGA tour. And you saw the lawsuit that said there were three players that actually went in to try to figure out if they could play in the FedEx cup based on the rules. They're not able to do so because they're already making money on the live tour where the FedEx cup allows you to get a big purse. If you win the tournament, but also if you're winning in FedEx points, You get that money also. So you're getting a chance to double up. But that becomes the bigger purse in the on tour when it comes to making some money. Now, just imagine the players who at the bottom, the bottom feeders, that's just coming off of Q School, which is the tour that you have to play in to be in a certain category. I think the top 25 or, or so in order to get your year of exemption or so on tour. Now hoping you have sponsorships to give you money to travel and you know, lodging, to transportation. But a live tour kind of kills all of that, right? They kind of kill literally a thousand birds with one stone. We pay you a signing bonus, upfront money. Now you get a chance to play on teams too, as well. And with those four to five man teams, you also get a chance to win that money along with winning a tournament. So if you win a tournament, there's a chance to get four million to four point five million. You win as a team, you can get upwards of five plus million, four to plus a million dollars, which means I don't just get the money for winning a tournament, I also get the team money. So when you start thinking about why some of these players left the tour, I don't think it's because of bad dealings. I think it's from a financial, it's a business move. But you can't have your cake you it eat it too. You can't go to the Live Tour to then all of a sudden come back to the PGA tour. And play in a tournament such as the FedEx Cup tournament, which allows you to get that same kind of money. Now, those who, the Bruce Kepkas to the Phil Mickelson, the Dustin Johnson, those guys, Patrick Reeds, winning the Masters, those guys who won majors, from my understanding as of today, have the opportunity to play in the major tournaments. Like we saw, um, who was it? I think Kepka and Dustin Johnson played in the Open. Bryce Deschambault played in the open. These guys who are major turn, So it's like, okay, half a dozen one another. What do you want? You want to be on the PGA Tour? And let's, let's, let me throw this in there too, Joe, because I'm not playing a side. I'm just giving you all the angles. The highest purse on the PGA Tour is the PGA Championship mm-hmm. that's played uh, down in Ponte Vedra. And I think that's like three-point five, 3.6, maybe off by a few hundred thousand. But it's in the three, three, two to three, five million dollar category. That's the biggest person on tour. Everything else is accolades, is the accolade plus the endorsements after that. I think some of those players who know how hard the road is traveling to get to the tour to then be the Tiger Woods, not everyone's going to get that chance. Not everyone's going to get the chance to be the Phil Mickelsons. Not everyone's going to get the Rory McIlroy $200 million deal for 10 years with Nike. Not all the guys are going to get that money. So as an outsider looking in from a professional standpoint, um, I get it, but they have to also get it too, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too to be able to go back to the PGA Tour with those guys who are committed like the Tiger Woods of the world and many others, the Adam Scotts, uh, who won a Masters championship. I'm sure these guys, even Tiger, think about it for a second. We don't know for sure if we're going to see Tiger Woods in the open again because of his injury. We don't. He's getting older. We don't know. We don't know how he's going to fare in the Masters again because of his injury. We don't know. He loves it. He's spending time with his kids now. You know, he has Charlie, his son, the little guy. He's out there pegging it up on the course and he's playing in the father-son tournaments and he's playing really good golf. So he wants to, he's now seeing the light at the end of the tunnel for this thing to almost be over. He's not jumping over there to go get that money knowing that his time is going to be up, but he did set the stage to allow these players to have that type of scenario and situation. Cause the money is so big with tiger. Where else can these guys make this money? So I think Greg Norman being a the, the spearhead spearheading this live tour has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way on tour. But you know what? In all fairness to those who are having the opportunity to go over there to get the money to to take care of their families, I get it. I'm not on the PJ tour, so I don't have any skin in the game. <laughs> the only skin I have in the game in golf is with being with Shrixon, and they've done me done me well. And and I will say this: at the end of the day, it all comes down to what's best for them. And if they see it works for them, hey, man, go ahead and go. But you can't go over there and come back. That's the only thing. Once you're gone, you got to pack your bags and stay over there unless you want to major and you get a chance of playing that on the PGA Tour.
1: Yeah, the, the compensation aspect of it has been what has been discussed the most, obviously, because the, the numbers that these guys have been handed are – they're outrageous, some of these these salaries that were handed to these these PGA guys, all those names that you listed – but you, you, you were talking about at the beginning the laid-back nature of the Live Tour. Do you mm-hmm. think that there is a drop-off in the competitiveness because of that? Because the money's up front that now some of these guys, especially the older ones, they're like, I've won my, my majors, I, I've made all this money, and I just got handed this big paycheck. I just have to show up. Do you think that there's a lapse in that, or do you think that there's still space for this to be competitive?
0: Um... I I would say there's a laxed approach, okay? There is a laxed approach. And I think with that laxed approach, it's going to cause guys to not put forth the effort 110%, as they would have to if they're trying to press to win a major. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, I think the guys who are at the bottom, who are the bottom feeders, I think they'll be the ones that will push hard to try to get on those winning teams to pay possibly even win a tournament think of some of the bottom feeders who win a tournament right now and the the purse is four million bucks for the winner think about the guy who wins goes in 10th place he's still in the high hundred thousands to low millions think about that for a second that's a lot of money so with the interest i think it will balance itself out i think with the top-notch players the kepkas the mickelsons the johnsons I think it the reads, I think it balances itself out because now it's the lower bottom feeders that feel like, hey, if I could get this 900000 I got a wife on the way. I got a new house that I want. We got some good money in the account. But my goodness, I can get extra million bucks from being on the winning team. That's $1.9 bucks. What are we talking about? We can do it. So I, I honestly will say, I think it benefits all ends, all spectrums, all ends of it uh, when it comes to the bottom feeders and the top guys. And, and I think all those guys are top guys. It's just the luck of the draw falls in favor of some guys in some of these tournaments better than others. And, um, you know, I, don't, I, I I think for what we expect from the top-notch players to your question, yes, for Phil Mickelson to be that much over par, it's not what we would have seen if he was still in a PGA Tour because he's trying to – chase Tiger Woods when it comes to the most masters, right? To be that owner Palmer, Jack Nicholas of our era, right? But that's just the win left, right? So um, I think those guys are still competing. I just think the following of the excitement and the battles within our tour, the PGA Tour, won't be as juicy as it once was because all those players I just mentioned, those three to five, what is it? Nicholson, Dustin Johnson, Reed, Kepka, those guys. I mean, they were in the thick of things a lot and they won't be there anymore on tour. So, you know, I think they still compete because they see the opportunities. It's much easier. Uh, but I think it benefits more the bottom feeders to me than it does the guys that won the majors we'll have an opportunity uh, to appreciate.
1: I think that's a good note to wrap us up on here, at Cordell. Folks, yeah. if you tuned in and you enjoyed it, find us on YouTube on the Believe YouTube channel. You can also find us any podcast directory on the Edge with Slash. Cordell, is there yeah. anything you want to plug or where people can find you on social?
0: Yeah, uh, my, my Instagram and Twitter is K slash 10. That's spelling out the word kslash S H one zero. my number. And uh, that's on Twitter and also... Uh, Instagram and also my book. I have an autobiography called Truth. Mm. It's on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. Um, it talks about everything with the game in which I'm in, uh, how I was raised, all that fun stuff. So give yourself an opportunity to go to Amazon. You can get it there in, in, a, in a hardback or softback, and or uh, you can get it via Kindle. And uh, it's everything that I'm talking about in, here on this show uh, called On the Edge with Your Guy and Yourself, Joe. Whichever Joe it is today. Joe C or Joe D. All good, man. All good. All good. All
1: good. All right, thanks, Cordell, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back with more coming up on our next episode.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 10,0 mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner.